Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm so excited about uh, where we get to travel into next as our story continues to unfold. You know, I find it absolutely fascinating that when God revealed himself to us as a human race uh, through the Bible, that he decided to do it through story instead of through a textbook or instruction manual of sorts. Certainly there are instructions in the scriptures, but even the instructions are always placed into a story. God's talking to this guy, or he's having this deal, or he's having made making this speech or he's bringing these instructions down for these people. It's always wrapped into story. And one of the reasons why I think uh, God revealed himself in story to us is because uh, the way that we have been designed to learn works best when we are walking along with someone and learning as they are living their story out. That's how the rabbinical way was born. The, the way of the rabbi is very simple. There would be a rabbi, a teacher, and he would collect for himself some disciples, and then those Disciples would follow the rabbi as he went and did life. So really, they would be living his story, watching him, observing, learning, debriefing afterwards around a fireplace, just kind of living in the realities of the unfolding story of the rabbi. And in many ways, the Spirit of God is now our rabbi, and the Word of God is our story. And we get to live in the story alongside our rabbi as we follow God through the Holy Spirit, as we follow Jesus as disciples of Christ, he has given us the very reality of the stories so that we don't have to just gain instructions. We actually get to walk into the story, live there and go, oh, I see now. Oh, I get it now. Oh, this is what it looks like. We are in the uh, journey through the book of Acts, which is the story of the unfolding New Testament church, the early New Testament church. And it is an extraordinary journey that we get to take with them, watching the story unfold. As we stepped into the book of Acts, you remember if you were here, Jesus was still with us on planet earth. He had not yet ascended. He had died. He had risen from the dead. And he told his disciples of that time and all his disciples since, including us, that this is the call of your life now. I am going to make you witnesses, my witnesses, and I'm going to send you into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I am going to empower you with the Spirit of God. You are going to have God in you, so I'm going to be with you. In Matthew, at the end of the book of Matthew, when he gets, gives the great commission, he says it this way, I, I want you to go, and as you go, I want you to make disciples of, of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always, right? So there's this deep sense that we are going to live our lives on mission, carrying the reality of Christ's redemption, the light, into the world to bring life to dead things, to bring freedom to bound things, to bring light into darkness. Th this is our mission. And as we follow the story into the book of Acts, what we discover real fast is that carrying light into a dark world produces two realities. The first reality is that it produces miracles. It really does. I mean, uh, right early on in the book of Acts, uh, the, the people are seeing the Spirit of God come. They're preaching the gospel. Thousands come to know Christ. It's just like a move of the gospel uh, that you just kind of go, if, if this is how it's going to go, it's going to be awesome. And so there is the sense that if you are going to be a carrier of the light on behalf of Christ, you should expect in your life that there are going to be some incredibly miraculous realities. You are going to get to be part of a rescue plan of God in the lives of those who are bound. That's awesome. You're going to see the most broken, the most dark, the most dead, the most bound things uh, be freed and see light and come to life. And I mean, it's going to be awesome. 
But we also found out in the book of Acts real early on that when you carry light into the darkness, you offend the darkness and the darkness bites back. And then you suddenly find yourself in a whole lot of struggle and a whole lot of cost and a whole lot of difficulty. And so we're starting to recognize as we follow our rabbi, Jesus, into the story that when you follow Jesus and you carry the light for him, it is miracle, it is martyrdom, right? I mean, it's, it's both and. They, they come at different seasons in life. And so we have to be prepared for both and expect both to be part of our story. We've been following in particular in our story in the book of Acts now, Paul and his uh, journeyman. Uh, it's Paul, it's Silas, it's Timothy, and, and Luke as well. We've been following them. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy left Galatia. They traveled the 400 miles across the map from the right-hand side of the map to the left-hand side of the map. You remember, they wanted to go southwesterly into Asia. Spirit of God said no. They traveled up uh, northwesterly. They wanted to go into um, uh, uh, the northern regions, and, and the Spirit of God said no, you, you can't go that way either. So they ended up in Troas, on the edge of the Aegean Sea. Uh, They they kind of hung out there. That's where they bumped into Luke. And Luke is the author of the book of Acts. So now we have the author of this book with them. And they traveled by the leading of the Holy Spirit through a vision across the Aegean Sea uh, to to Neapolis. And they landed in Neapolis and then headed up into Philippi. So we're in the city of Philippi now. Paul has traveled 400 miles with his team without really going into any of the areas where he wanted to go into to preach the gospel. Why? Because he was receptive to the Holy Spirit. He was intimate with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit guided him. That's why it says in the script, um, and the Holy Spirit avoid, said no. And the Holy Spirit uh, didn't let them go here. And the Holy Spirit, see, there is this interaction between Paul and the Holy Spirit all the time. Like a conversation happening. When they get to Philippi, you remember we found out in Philippi that that when they landed there, God had a miraculous story waiting for them. They bumped into Lydia outside the city. She comes to Jesus. Uh, She's a wealthy businesswoman in the city. She becomes a catalyst for the launching of the Philippian church in her house, which turns out to be one of the great churches in the scriptures. And so just an unfolding, miraculous story occurs because they were receptive to the Holy Spirit and didn't stop along the way. See, when we are receptive to the Holy Spirit, intimate with the Holy Spirit, He will lead us to the places we need to be. And so what a critical part of understanding what life on mission looks like. Now, they are in Philippi. Lydia's just come to Christ. She's opened her house uh, for the building of the new church. And uh, Paul and Silas, we pick up the story with them as they head into the streets of Philippi. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16. If you are using one of the Bibles that we provide, which would be uh, under the seats, go to page 601, 601 in the Bibles we provide, or Acts chapter 16 in whatever Bible or smart device you brought with you that you're using today. So Acts chapter 16, we're going to jump in at verse 16. Paul and Silas are in Philippi with Luke and um, Timothy. Now they are going around the city and beginning to really preach the gospel. And this is the story that unfolds. Let's watch where it goes. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So we bump into a character in the story that's been following Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke around. She is a slave girl, so we know that she is owned by some people, and these people, when they purchased her, found out that she had what seems to be a superpower to them. She has the ability 
to foretell the future. Now, it says she had a spirit of divination. The word divination in the dictionary simply means the attempt to foretell the future or to discover secrets within a person through the occult. So in other words, through connecting with the dark side of spirituality, it is the attempt to tell the future through that connection. So you're now into that world of uh, the fortune telling, the psychics, that whole world that says, I'm trying to connect with the other world to have them tell me what you cannot see so I can tell you the future or I can tell you the secret you need to know. And that would be a spirit of divination, uh, the ability to do this. This is what this woman had. For, for her owners, this turned out to be incredibly lucrative, right? Because remember, they live in Philippi. All of us, let's just be honest, we really want to know what the future holds because we're afraid, right? I mean, our, we're all a little afraid that it's not going to be a good future. So if we're going to start a business, if we're going to go into an interview, if we're going to go to war, if we're going to, if we're in a struggling relationship, what we want to know is how's it's going to turn out so that I don't have to wait and find out. And so it was no different in this generation. The Romans had many gods just as the Greeks did. And so it was very common in this world to go to people with this particular ability and to have them foretell your future. But that came at a pricey cost, especially if they were really good at it. And apparently she was super good at it because Paul bothers to say, or Luke rather, that she actually had a spirit of divination in her. This was not just her being good at reading people there was actually demonic activity that was telling her things so that she could tell others. So she was apparently super good at it. And her owners were incredibly grateful that they'd bought this particular slave girl. Now, let's see what unfolds with this slave girl. Take a look. It says in verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That was unexpected, wasn't it? You didn't expect that, did you? Now, if you read ahead, you're like, ooh, I know what's coming. But if you didn't read ahead, you're about as confused as I was when I first read this. Hold on, what on earth is going on here? Here you have a woman, you describe her literally as being influenced or possessed by a demon that is a demon of divination. And this demon is running around through this woman shouting, hey, follow these guys. They are part of the one true God, the most high God, and he brings you salvation. See, what, what would you assume is happening if you read that the first time? Hopefully, you'd assume the same thing I was assuming, which is the miracle continues, right? I mean, Lydia was a big miracle. This is bigger, right? I mean, here's a woman, and I know why they're telling this story. They're telling this story because they're going to show that the power of the gospel is to overcome even that which is dark in another person. And here's this person full of the Spirit, and yet the Spirit is bowing its knee to the gospel, right? Wouldn't you think that? I'd have thought that if this woman were chasing me around and I was in Philippi and it was just Renault thinking, I'd go, sweet. Yeah, listen to her. I mean, isn't she the fortune teller? Look at the power of the gospel. So let's take a look at what Paul discovers. It's awesome. And it says this. It says, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. You're surprised again, aren't you? Like, hold on, what on earth? 
I mean, of all the things I would not be if someone was running around behind me saying, follow these guys, they're bringing the real God and they bring salvation, I would not be going, I'm super annoyed with you, get out of here, right? So it says Paul's walking around, this woman's following him around, she's shouting this out, and eventually Paul's had it. And you know Paul, when he gets annoyed, man, he gets seriously annoyed. We've seen that. He stormed into Peter's house when Peter wasn't acting right and didn't care one bit about people. That's just Paul's personality. I also love that the scriptures constantly reminds us that the great heroes of our faith, the ones we follow, are just like us. I mean, Paul got annoyed. I'm like, I would have loved to hear Paul in the fruit of the Spirit recognized. No, it's like Paul got sick of it. He was annoyed. He was done. And so he turned around and went, that's it. You, out of her, go, I'm sick of you. And the spirit left. When Paul says leave, man, and he's got Jesus, he, the spirit leaves, right? And so, um, a fascinating equation. I'm sitting here a tad confused. What was going on in the scenario? Well, when you do your homework and you start looking into the history, this is what you find. In a culture like Rome and Greece, when it converged with multiple gods, what you began to have there is you began to have this attitude that anytime you found a pretty cool god to add to your arsenal, you added him, okay, or you added her. So in other words, if you had 10 gods, you're awesome. If you have 20, you're awesomer. If you had 30, you're the awesomest. Right, so, so it was constantly a journey of going, when you find a new God that seems powerful, make sure you convince that God to come and serve you by doing what? By submitting yourself to that God. And so it was completely common, especially for a woman like this, when de- de- finding out that there was some additional God we could add to our arsenal to run around and proclaim, here's the new one, here's the new one. Add the new one. This one's awesome. What does this one bring you? Does it bring you fertility? Does this one bring you health? Does this one bring you fortune? No, this one brings you salvation. Awesome. I needed salvation. That's perfect. I can add that to what I already have. Do you see how confusing that gets? When you are endorsed by someone that endorses everything, you are not endorsed at all. You are just brought into confusion. In our modern day, think of people like Oprah. I don't hate Oprah, and I don't know that she has a demonic divination spirit. Here's what I do know she does. She endorses everything, right? Or anything that seems to be everything, she endorses. So yes, does she endorse Jesus? Absolutely she does. Are you kidding me? I've heard her share how she's a follower of Jesus. Does she endorse the Bible? Absolutely. It's a fantastic book. It's part of God's revelation to us. You'll hear her say that. Does she endorse every other religious book? Absolutely. Does she endorse every other religion? No doubt about it. What does she not endorse? Anything that doesn't tolerate anything else, right? So here's the interesting thing is she becomes a very confusing person especially if you're sort of infant in your journey with Jesus because because she endorses Jesus, you go, oh, that's awesome. She must be in the right camp, but it's confusing because she also endorses everything else. And so, in fact, not only does she not endorse the true gospel that says, it's only me, but she actually brings confusion to it. But you see, you could not have possibly discerned that if you were walking around the streets of Philippi and you were Paul, unless you were what? 
intimate with the Holy Spirit and receptive to what he's telling you. See, what Paul was able to do here is instead of just simply reading circumstances and trying to discern for himself what the wisest move is, which is what we in our cultural context have become incredibly good at doing. You're smart. You got it. You're educated. You have a, you have a strategic mind. Just figure it out. God gave you a brain, right? Yes, he did. And all that's true. But receptiveness to the Holy Spirit brings us to a new level where we can discern not what is observable, but what is behind the picture. We can see how it is affecting the kingdom of God and the movement of the gospel. And here Paul discerns rightly that this woman is not for the gospel. This woman is bringing confusion to the gospel by adding it to lumping in the other gods. If a bunch of the people in Philippi accepted the gospel as an additional piece to the arsenal of gods they already had, have they accepted the gospel? No. And so, in fact, you will have a bunch of people that think they now know God, but do not. And that's detrimental to the gospel. And so, Paul reacts immediately to that and says, we're done with this story. The other thing I find fascinating about this moment in the life of Paul is this. That Paul also discerns rightly here, as we all should, that he is not battling some woman. Did you notice that? There wasn't a single conversation with the woman. Did you notice that? He didn't chase the woman off. Did you notice that? He didn't say, that's it. Would you please leave? I'm sick of you. He was annoyed. He wasn't even annoyed with the woman. Because it says Paul got so annoyed that he turned and did what? Said to the spirit, get out. I'm done with you. What Paul was able to discern, again, because he's intimate with the Word of God, intimate with the Spirit of God, is that our battle, our war, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, folks. It is against the powers and principalities in dark places at work in us and our friends and our enemies and the world to try to derail everything God is doing. And so often, we are so stuck on this planet and so unreceptive to the Spirit of God and so broken in intimacy from the Spirit of God that when anything happens to us, the immediate reaction is, it's that person! Our marriages look this way, our parenting relationships, our, uh, our child-to-parent relationships, our co-working relationships, our friendships, we're just waiting for someone to tick us off so we can be mad at them. And our battle is constantly against each other. And I think the enemy is often sitting around with his arms folded, laughing his head off, going, these people are so busy fighting each other, they don't even know I'm here. I tell my kids in my house all the time, man, the amount we fight each other, the enemy doesn't even have to show up. He just, ha- he just gets to watch the party. We are not battling each other. We are battling a darkness that is against the light and it is coming to confuse us and keep us in the dark so we won't bother being efficient for the incredible invitation we have into the call of being on mission for God. And here we see Paul, because he's receptive to the Spirit of God, right there, right then, he discerns clearly. Listen, if we are going to live a life on mission, Mission requires us to be deeply devoted to Christ, deeply devoted to God, and and in tune with, uh, intimate with, receptive to the Spirit of God. You cannot live a sustainable life on mission if your devotion and intimacy with God is not at a high level. 
You will burn out. You will miss the mark. You will not end up where you're supposed to end up, and you will miss out on the stories God has for you. Will God accomplish his story without you? Yes. Does he need you? No. Has he invited you to be part of it? Yes. Do you want in? Yes. Well, then we got to be receptive to the Holy Spirit. And so here what we see is because Paul is receptive to the Holy Spirit, his mind is set on things above. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads him to where he needs to be, bumping him through the 400-mile journey. And when he gets to where he has to be, the Holy Spirit gives him clarity in the scenario, in the situation. Clarity to discern what is helpful and not helpful. Clarity to speak into it toward the spiritual forces, not just toward the people. How often have you and I been in circumstances where uh, a relationship is starting to get difficult or finances are a little tight or things uh, are out of whack in the workplace. And, and we know that the gospel call is to stay in, to stay the course, to push hard, to love even when we're not loved, to, to, to move forward even when we want to bail. But it, it's hurtful and it's difficult and it's tedious. And then what do our friends say? Our good uh, intended friends, even our Christian friends. Oh, you deserve to be? happy. So don't do that. Don't don't stick with that. Don't stay there. Bail out because God wants you to be happy. I, I get it. Good intentions. But if we're not discerning carefully, we will end up making decisions that are advantageous to ourselves and not advantageous to the gospel. And this is what Paul is able to do on mission is even when the circumstances may not be advantageous to him, it does not matter because if it is detrimental to the gospel, it gets, it gets ended. He, he reacts. And so here's what Paul does. He casts out this spirit. Now, uh, we expect the next miracle now, right? Because now Paul has cast out the spirit and the woman is free. And what do you expect to read next? You expect to read, and this woman who was free went to Lydia's house and she brought her whole family to Jesus. Let's take a look. It's awesome. It says this, but when, verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. This is not going well. Can you tell? It's going badly. The miracle that has occurred through Lydia, now Paul and Silas once again are dragged to the middle of the city. I mean, I feel like if you were Timothy, who was in Galatia with them, you're going to Paul and going, seriously, dude, can't you calm down? I mean, it's been days and you're already being taken captive and already being ready to be beaten in the city. I mean, can't we just last a week or two without being stoned? See, this is Paul's journey. Why? Because Paul walks into places and he goes, it does not matter the cost. I'm going to live for what? Not for me and what's advantageous for me, but I'm going to live for the gospel. So now he's preached the gospel. He's cast out a demon. And these guys that had this slave girl, they just realized the second it happened, they're like, oh no, our entire livelihood is gone. Listen, folks, listen carefully. When you carry the light into the world, the light is beautiful. The light is freeing. The light is life. But before it's beautiful and freeing in life, first it offends the hearts of men and women. Why? Because we are building whose kingdoms? Our own. And what does Jesus do? He comes to take it from us, right? That's what it feels like, doesn't it? And so the light at first offends all that you are trying to build. I mean, how many times are you going to find yourself in spaces where you got to make that decision full of integrity, but your boss needs you to make a different one? And then you go, know, oh, this is hard. If I, if I make the right decision, you know, I lose my job. Yeah, it's, it's, it can be costly. There are multiple spaces in our lives where when we step into the gospel, the light of the gospel will be offensive to the world. And when it does, the world bites back. 
And so now some people grab Paul and Silas and drag him to the middle of the city. Now, before we read the next section, because it gets interesting, let me remind you of the city we're in. We are in Philippi. Do you remember Philippi? Philippi is a Roman colony. That means that Philippi flies the flag of Rome high. Do you understand? Rome is all that matters in Philippi. In addition to this being a Roman colony, which flies the flag of Rome high, who lives in this particular Roman colony? Remember from last week? This is a colony of veterans. Many of the people that settled in Philippi were the veterans from the great war of 42 BC. That was the great unifying war of Rome. One of the greatest wars ever fought in Rome. The veterans from that war, now old, live in this city. Some of them have passed on, some of them still alive. Their children and their grandchildren live in this city. And you do not walk into a Roman colony full of veteran families and do anything against Rome. Do you understand? It would be like walking in here and starting to say a bunch of anti-American stuff. And then you know, I'm, I'm brought before you and like, he's speaking against America. And you feel it in you, don't you? Don't you do that. You don't get to do that. I love this country. And so that's, Rome was that on steroids. And so we are in a space right now where you are in the wrong city to speak against Rome. So these guys that drag Paul and Silas into the city, what do they do next? They bring them before the magistrate, the leadership, the rulers of this city. And you think they're going to tell them, hey, you know, this guy, I had the servant girl and she had a spirit of divination and she could fortune tell and he cast the spirit out and now we don't have any money. Can you please, please do something? No, why would you do that? That's going to lead to nothing. Look what they do. This is awesome and strategic. Look at this. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, verse 20, they said, these men are Jews. That's where they start. Oh, if only they knew they were actually people of the way. That would have been so much more strategic. But Jews weren't hated, weren't liked. In this particular city, there was no synagogue. The Jewish people were kind of like, ah, we, we got to watch them carefully because they tend to speak things that make God bigger than Caesar. And who was Caesar? Caesar was the son of God, and so if you spoke against uh, Caesar, you could do that simply by saying there was some other God bigger than Caesar. And so the Jewish people were kind of edgy, right? So he says this, these are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Beautiful, right? Got nothing to do with the personal reality of the servant girl. They're disturbing our nice, peaceful city. That's like gathering a bunch of veterans and going, hey folks, gather round, gather round. These guys are trying to infiltrate our city. Oh, oh, take them down. Right? I mean, you can see it coming. And look, it, it goes further. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Ooh, you've just pulled the trigger. Now, what's also happened? Well, there's a crowd of people around. Why is there a crowd of people around? We're going to see that in a second. Same reason there are crowds of people today. When you're driving down I-4 and there's an accident on the other side of I-4, why are you in two hours of traffic on your side? See, it makes no sense, does it? You almost get mad when you get to the accident. The accident's on the other side. I don't mind being in traffic that side, but I'm on this side, and why are we in traffic on this side? Why? Because every person, when they get to the scene of the accident, what do they want to do? They want to watch. That's right. Maybe I'll catch a moment where something exciting happens and take a foot off the gas for a second. Brake lights, brake lights, traffic, traffic, traffic. Right? That's what happens. And so you get to these spaces, and you're like, this is ridiculous, but while you're saying that, what are you doing? Oh, Wow, that's a big one, right? 
And so this is what is in us all, isn't it? Anytime there's some kind of cool activity going on, even if it's a fight or a car accident, we want in on it. We want to see what's going on. And so as soon as two guys are dragged into the middle of the city of Philippi and they're shouting, you these men are disturbing our city. What's happening? People are coming out of their homes. Something's happening in the marketplace. Hey, hey. I mean, we always do it. Hey, Bobby, there's a fight. There's a fight. Come on. Get out your iPhone. We can YouTube it, baby. And so off we go, right? And they're in the center of the city and take a look at what happens. Take a look at what happens. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And it says immediately, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, the dungeon, if you will, and fastened their feet in stocks. So this is crazy. They're in Philippi. God brought them here 400 miles. Miracle of Lydia. Awesome stuff. Preach the gospel. Cast out a demon. Awesome stuff. And what is the result of all of that? Now, Paul and Silas have been dragged before the city, beaten with rods until they were highly afflicted, and then dragged into a prison, into the dungeon, and put in stocks. And there they sit. How would you evaluate how that's going so far? See, isn't that a circumstance you would probably go, God, I'm not sure how you're in this, but God is absolutely in this. Listen, folks, war is ugly. War is hard. War is costly. I had the privilege of going and watching American Sniper this last week. Now, I know it's controversial, and I know there's all sorts of articles about it's not a real story, and they made a hero out of someone who shouldn't have been, and others are saying, he is a hero, leave him alone, and that's back and forth. I I couldn't care less right now for this context about all that controversy. Here's what I care about. When I was done watching that movie and I walked out of that movie, here's what I was reminded of, that they are men and women that are paying a massive price so that you and I can go to bed at night free. That's the reality. I don't care all the controversy. That's the reality. Right now, while we stand here quietly in this church enjoying a nice weekend, there are men and women right now holding weapons, waiting for an enemy to come around a corner so that that enemy isn't on our doorstep, so that we have a distance from the enemy. You see, those people are taking on hard things. They are seeing hard things. They are making hard decisions. They are dealing with hard soul stuff so that we don't have to so that we can be free, so that we can have children and raise them in happiness and see everything going well, so that our children don't have to see buses blowing up, so that our children don't have to be afraid to go to the store. That's why they are there. That's why they are taking on the fear. And when they come back, they come back broken, no doubt, because they've seen things none of us should ever see. They've done things none of us should ever do. But don't we dare say, how could they have done that? They step into the dark, hard places because they're trained and they're ready and because we can't. And they do it for us. They do it in our cities. Every day, our police force puts on uniforms and gets out there into the city to go where? To the places you and I don't want to go. To the streets you and I don't drive through because it's too dangerous. To the houses where too much junk is happening. They're the ones that have to take on the reality. They're the ones that have to have people hate them because they get speeding tickets because those people were speeding. They, see, they're the ones that take on the junk. They hold on to all the danger so that what? So that our neighborhoods are safe. Those firemen and those EMTs, they see things you don't ever want to see. They have to deal with all the throw up and the junk and the stuff when we're in our worst places so that what? So that you don't have to. 
I call those people the sin eaters of our world. They are eating into themselves deep, dark, difficult things, taking on hard things to see and hard things to choose so that you and I don't have to. These are our heroes, right? And this is what war does, folks. War is difficult. War is hard. War is costly. War is hard to carry, but somebody carries it so that we don't have to. Those of us that can't, those of us that aren't trained, those of us that can't deal with what they deal with. And this is our call, that scriptures are clear. It's clear as day. They don't, it doesn't mince words. It doesn't say, now that you're on planet Earth, it's going to be fine. It, you might have a hard day or two, but if you do, just pray hard and it'll go away. No, the word war is used constantly. Jesus says, if you follow me, you are going to take up your cross daily. You're going to bear the weight of this world on my behalf as an ambassador of Christ. It is going to feel hard and heavy. But I'll tell you why you're doing it. Because I have empowered you with the Holy Spirit. I have trained you up with the word of God. I have given you all that you need. And you are going to take on the sin of the world so that others don't have to. The orphans can't. The widows can't. The destitute can't. The blinded can't. The, 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 the trapped can't. The bound can't. Those who are chasing their careers, they can't. They don't know any better. Those who are stabbing you in the back to get your promotion, they can't. They don't know any better. Only you can and me because we know Jesus and because we have the spirit of God. And so it is a war zone. When the butlers go to Cambodia, uh, the missionaries that we support there, and they rescue women from the uh, human trafficking trade and children, you don't think the people managing those women and children come after them? You should hear some of the stories. They want them dead. Why? Because that's a lucrative industry and you are taking money out of the pockets of people that want money. So you know what they do? They go start gyms so that they can bring the managers of those women and children into the gyms and work out with them so they can see them come to Jesus. See, it's a war zone out there, folks. And when we go into that war zone, we should expect that in a war zone, two things are always true. Miracles happen in war zones. Heroes are forged in war zones. Did you know that? Well, who are our heroes? It's the, it's the people humping their friend out of a, a, a gunfight. It's the, it's the people that flew helicopters into places that no helicopter should ever have flown into. It's the people that dare to step into the darkness for their buddy, for their friend, for their country, for us. Those are our heroes. And that is what you get when you get to be part of that story. But it also comes with a massive price. And we should not think that the call we have into this world of darkness is going to come easy. We should not assume that every time God is going to call us into some scenario or to call us to give some of ourselves or some of our resources or some of our time or step into hard stories or preach the gospel in hard places like our workplaces, our social networks, the places where people will be offended and embarrassed and we will be embarrassed and, and then it's going to be awkward and we don't want to do it and so we wait and wait and wait until it's perfect so that it will not be offensive. The light is always offensive to the darkness when it first encounters it. And you are carriers of the light if you know Jesus. It is a war zone out there and we should assume that. We should know that. And so we need to know that if we're going to walk into a war zone, what do we need? We need to stay intimate with the Spirit of God, receptive to Him, and close to the Word of God so that we are constantly ready for what's going to come around the next turn. You know what's fascinating about the story? Paul, believe it or not, and I'm getting a little ahead of the game, was a Roman citizen. You'll find that out later. He pulls that card later on. If you pull the Roman citizen card out, are you going to beat me when I'm one of these? 
that's the card you want to pull, right? Because the second you pull that card, the whole crowd stops. The magistrate starts sweating. Oh no, he's a Roman citizen. Everybody stop. You didn't tell us. In fact, later on, uh, in another story, uh, Paul actually pulls the card and the entire leadership goes nuts. You didn't tell us. We're so sorry. Apologize to him. If Rome finds out we beat a Roman citizen, they're going to kill us. See, all Paul had to do in the moment that the magistrate said, beat him and put him in jail, all he had to do was go, I'm a Roman citizen. And and all of this would have gone away. Why didn't Paul pull his card here? It's a fascinating question, isn't it? He pulls it later, so it's not like he never pulled it. He just didn't pull it here. But you see, this is what you find in the book of Acts. There's never a rule. There's always a, reci- a, 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 a um, being receptive to the Spirit of God. There's, there's always that receptiveness, that closeness, that intimacy, so that when the Spirit of God whispers to Paul, don't pull the card. Don't pull the card. Paul goes, okay. You, 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 you do get, I'm going to get beaten, right? So, so I'm to be abundantly clear. I can imagine the conversation. This is not going to go well, God. I, I, I know, I know. Just don't, don't pull the card. Hold the card. It's for another story at another time. See, we think everything we have is for our benefit, but everything we have is for the benefit of the expansion of the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus. And so Paul holds the card. Why? Because a story is about to unfold that is absolutely miraculous, a story God intended. And in order to have this story occur, Paul had to be in the inner prison. And the only way into the inner prison was by not pulling the card, getting beaten and getting shoved in that prison. And what is going to unfold is miraculous. It's a story for next week. Sorry, we can't get into it right now. But let me just tell you, it is awesome. But you see, listen, listen now. When we are on mission living for the glory of Christ and the expansion of his kingdom instead of our own glory and the expansion of our kingdoms, then we need to be receptive to the Holy Spirit and intimate with the Holy Spirit and intimate with the word of God all the time because if we are not, the missteps are too easy, too fast, too quick. You don't get to prepare in war. You don't get to make a decision. An American sniper, when he was laying there, there were several scenes where I I literally, I'm seeing the decision he has to make. He's got a split second to make it and there's this happening and does he take him out? Does he not take him out? But it's this, and, 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 and you just hear the guy going, it's your call. And I just go, no, no, you can't tell him that. That's not fair. He has to carry that. Now, if, if he pulls the trigger, he made that decision. And, and making that decision, see, it, it doesn't come with convenience of time to seek out people. Paul d- couldn't go, okay, everybody, oh, the crowds, whoa, magistrate, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you give me a minute to confer with the boys about whether I pull the Roman card or not? Now you see, it doesn't happen that way. You gotta be there. And when you are intimate with the Holy Spirit and you are receptive to him in your daily life and you are constantly in the word of God, then as the noise of planet earth happens, here's what the spirit of God does. You see it in these stories. He will lead you to where you need to be. Then when you're there, he will give you clarity and discernment to know what you need to do like he did with the spirit uh, in the girl. And when it gets hard, and it will, he will give you the endurance and power to carry the cross well. He will give you what you need to walk in fearlessly to the darkness and say, this is hard, but this this is nothing because I'm on this planet for a vapor of a space, a blink of an eye. And then I am gonna experience the full redemption of all that God has done, the full realization of my eternity. And there, I promise you this, according to scripture, there, there will be no mission. The only mission there will be to enjoy God and for him to enjoy us. So for this brief moment of war that we're in, let us fight well 
And let us not get so drawn in by the civilian affairs that drive our hearts and minds every day that we forget that we are here on mission for Jesus. Let us stay close to the Spirit so that he will lead us to where we need to go, so that he will give us clarity when we get there, and so that he will give us endurance when it gets hard, so that we will not bail on the things that the gospel needs us to stay true to for the glory of Christ and the expansion of the kingdom. I want to close with this. Paul writes to the church in Philippi later on, and it's, it's revealing to me to see what he writes here to the church in Philippi. Listen to this. In Philippians chapter two, it's on page 636 if you're interested. In Philippians chapter two, he's writing now to a church that has been highly persecuted and you see why, right? You see why the church in Philippi was highly persecuted because this is the city they're dealing with. And he writes to them in chapter two and he says, listen, if you want my joy to be complete, then stay like-minded in your love and your unity. Do not get distracted by the realities of the world. Stay true to this. Remember who you are. Stay in the war. Fight for the gospel. And he says, if it, if it gets hard for you, remember Christ and what he's done. That's why in Philippians chapter two, look at what he says in um, verse five. I mean, uh, yeah, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who th though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, what it's saying here, what Paul's saying here to the church in Philippi is, while it gets rough out there, boys and girls, when you get tired, uh, do this. Fix your minds together in unity on the gospel again. You see, it's calling us back to preach the gospel to each other. Be together. Don't neglect hanging out together. Stay close together. Stay intimate with the Spirit. Stay close to the Spirit so that you are living your life for the kingdom of God. And then when it gets a little tiring, remember who did this before you. And then look what he writes right here in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as, uh, as in my presence, but as much in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We'll get to this later, but God invites us. Here's the beautiful invitation. He invites us to participate in his story. Is God going to work out our salvation for us? Yes, it's all in scripture. Is God gonna work out our sanctification for us? Yes, the work he began in you, who will bring to completion? He will. Is God gonna work out the mission he has for this planet? Yes, is God gonna rescue the people he intends to rescue? Yes, but what does God allow us to do? to participate in all those things. You participate in your salvation by working it out. You participate in your sanctification by pressing into holiness. You participate in the mission by sharing and living the gospel. God doesn't need you to, he invites you to. And how could we not want to step into that? And now look what he says, here it is. The result of that, watch. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you will shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Here's what he says. Man, keep your eyes fixed because as the generation you're in becomes more difficult, more crooked, more dark, your light gets to shine more brightly. So don't give up out of fear. Press harder in out of confidence. And where is your confidence? Stay close to the word of God. Stay intimate with the spirit of God and be receptive to him. 
when we are captivated by the things of this world that so easily entangle us, we forget ourselves and we miss out on the mission. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those who have gone before us, let us cast off everything that entangles and the sin that so easily hinders and let us what? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith so that we might run with perseverance the race marked before us. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow tired and weary and lose heart. See, the call of the author of Hebrews was, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on those who have run before you so that you might be part of that great cloud of witnesses for those who will run behind you. May we be, may we be men and women that become like sin eaters, that walk into the darkness and take on the hard things, verbalize the gospel in the hard places because we know we can, because we know we're empowered, because we know we're trained, because we know we're ready, because we know Jesus. And let us not, let us not be so distracted by the things of this world that we lose intimacy with the Spirit and are not receptive to his voice, miss out on the journey, end up in the wrong towns, and bail when things get hard. That would be a tragedy. And that is not our story. Our story is a story of mission, a story of devotion, a story of miracles and a story of losing ourselves for the sake of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks for this story again where Paul and his team so beautifully demonstrate the power of being intimate with you. May our work be a work of intimacy with you, Spirit of God. May we not work at doing more for you, but may we work at being closer to you. May we be intimate with your word, spending great deals of time memorizing, learning, reading, studying, digging into it so that you would speak through that, that you would birth in us richly the word of God. And then spirit of God, would you fix our hearts and minds on things above so that we are not distracted by things below. Would you remind us that we do not live our lives for our own glory or the glory of our own kingdom, but that we have been invited to live our lives for something so much bigger now, an adventure so much grander than anything we could have imagined, a life where we live in light and life and freedom, where we carry light and life and freedom using our resources, our relationships, our circumstances, all that we have for the expansion of your kingdom and the glory of your name. May you help us in the midst of a busy, noisy, difficult life to constantly look in each moment of the day for that moment, that opportunity, that space where we can ask ourselves, what will make the gospel most beautiful here? What will make the gospel most beautiful here? God, would you birth in us the fruit of the Spirit so that we might take the fruit of the Spirit against which is no law or sin and we may bring that fruit to bear on darkness so that it may overcome and so that people will be free because we take on the difficult things just as we are free because those before us and around us have taken on the difficult things. Help us to live deeply devoted to you intimate with you, receptive to you, full of you, and then on mission for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.